WBNE. Hello and welcome to episode 92, All About the Hobbit. Chapter 6, Out of the Frying Pan, Into the Fire. Being the 92nd part of That's What I'm Talking About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. And today I am joined by Victoria Aveyard, author of the Red Queen series and upcoming fantasy book, Realm Breaker. Welcome, Victoria. Thank you so much for having me. This is super fun and super exciting. And I I love the whole idea of this podcast. (laughs) Yay. Well, I'm so happy to have you on. Um, Would you like to tell me a little bit about your history with um lord of the rings slash the hobbit like how did you come to find it and and all that jazz yeah so um i'm one of those ones who have the very embarrassing admission to say that i saw fellowship of the ring before i read the lord of the rings i was 11 years old when that movie came out and i remember the thing that got me in the theater was arwen in the trailer drawing her sword and saying, if you want him, come and claim him. And I was like, that, I want to go see that movie. Because I was a little brunette freak who wanted to see (laughs) a brunette heroine warrior. And of course, you know, that's not even in the books. That's five seconds of the movie. But it didn't matter. I was hooked. And I remember we left the theater and I ran through the mall to Target to buy the book. And from there, binge read the whole thing and probably carried it around everywhere for the next two years until the actual book fell apart and it became a very (laughs) large part of my personality (laughs) through middle school and high school and college and now (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing you know I don't think you at all need to say like oh well it's embarrassing because I saw the movie first I've been saying Lord of the Rings is pretty much, I think, like the one exception mm-hmm. to this like book to movie adaptation mm-hmm. world where where people, book readers, book lovers have this um, this like complex. Yeah, that, like, well, I, re- I read the book first. Right. There's I feel like there's very little, very little gatekeeping in the Tolkien fandom, which is nice, at least on that side of things. There's definitely yeah, gatekeeping when it comes to <laughs> diversity and newer adaptations uh-huh. and what the television show and oh my god there are going to be elves of color and people get very angry about Um, that i i want to scream at the top of my lungs that elves should be people of color because i just found out that i say just a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago um found out that lupita nyong'o i think that's how you pronounce her last name she's like in her mid-30s i definitely thought she was 25 (laughs) <laughs> I thought she was like 23 years old. She does not age. Does and then not. like you look at Orlando Bloom and he does not look like an elf anymore, you know? So like people, when people are like people of color can't be the elves, I'm Ugh. like, they literally don't age. Yeah. It's they like realistically, all, so. you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. You're just, and yeah, if we were to right look there, at the so. places in that corresponding medieval era who were more advanced oh, in science and medicine and education and just quality of life, it's not the white European world. They were Man. struggling. They were pooping in holes and and, <laughs> <laughs> and the Muslim world had running water. So we figure could that have out. an entire spin-off podcast talking about this single topic I, and like the amount of people I've argued with about this exact thing and and it's just 
it's just absolutely ridiculous. Um, but that I I also heard that your new book that is um, coming out soon in a couple months, I believe, mm-hmm. um, that you kind of based it on your your experiences with with Lord of the Rings, yeah, and your desire to to feel yourself represented in something. Absolutely. Um, Realm Breaker comes out on May fourth, and um, the, that story first kind of started percolating in my head because I was coming off of uh, the Red Queen series, which had been very successful for me. So I knew I had a lot of pressure on what I did next, but I also had a lot of opportunity to kind of go where I wanted to go um, and I could kind of take a big swing. So I started thinking about what did I love when I was 14 years old? What was I looking for? What did I want to read? And of course, Lord of the Rings ruled so much of my life. I loved that story. I still love that story, but it absolutely doesn't love you back, especially if Mm -hmm. you're not like a straight white guy. You cannot be in the mm-hmm. fellowship. You cannot be a hero in that story. I very much came from that place of wanting to see myself in Lord of the Rings and wanting to be able to go on the adventure. And I thought, well, you're a writer now. You've got a series under your belt. Maybe you can take a crack at it. Maybe you can kind of take what you loved and push it with the things that you still wanted from that story. So I was very much inspired by Tolkien and also wrote this book kind of in spite of him as well. Um, That similar idea of like having a multicultural cast and having a world that's a little bit larger than the white sphere. I was always really interested in the maps of Middle Earth that were bigger than what we were given. I have like an atlas of Middle Earth and I love it because it goes beyond and you're looking at like the borders of Far Herod and Khand and all of these places where I'm like, what is going on there? And why are they so written off? And just like, oh, they all allied with Sauron. And it's like, well, is it because they're not white? Is that why they're allied with Sauron? Is that why you wrote them that way? What's going on there? What's their politics? And even just getting into the worlds we did have established, I was always amazed that the hobbits had like a postal system and glass in their windows. And then the king of Rohan is living in a barn. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. what's the tech? What's going on here economically? What's the baseline? So that was um, nice to get to write my own version of it um, and sort of work through my own trauma of being left out and turning to so much fan fiction. That's wonderful. That's just so wonderful. I I, I just want to like go shove this <laughs> episode and like this, you know, first five minutes um, in the face of like every terrible person that I've encountered on the internet whenever I bring up the issue of representation in Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, because there there are a lot of people who get extremely defensive. Yeah, and I, I don't really subscribe to the idea that you can't critique something you love. Yes, exactly. That's, that's the point of view that I'm trying. And that's what's easy for me too, um, since I'm coming into, I'm coming into Lord of the Rings where like the movies, 20 years old mm-hmm. books oh, way oh, so much even that? older you know I know I know right um it's coming uh, I believe it's this um, year it's December this yeah um yeah it'll be 20 years this Ugh. year ex- officially yeah I'm really trying to come at all of this from a perspective of like I can appreciate all of the wonderful things that Tolkien did mm-hmm. for the fantasy genre and like yes without without what he did I don't think fantasy would be what it is today. Absolutely. That being said, we have so there are so many people who look at Lord of the Rings and the works of Tolkien as like the blueprint 
for fantasy. And so when you look at it as a blueprint, you need to look at it and see, okay, well, where does he have gaps? Mm -hmm. Where, where did he leave something out? What did he do wrong that that future writers such as yourself can can improve upon? And I just I just love it so much. And I'm I'm really excited to to read that in May. So thank you. Yeah, Yeah, it's definitely about pushing past the boundaries and not looking at it as even boundaries and what Tolkien did, what George R. R. Martin has done, what plenty of fantastic fantasy authors have done. You know, the whole point is to move forward and to hopefully add a little bit of your own self to the yeah. lexicon. So why do you want to just write the cookie cutter version? Why do you just want to write that. the copy? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said, we could probably talk oh, yeah. for a whole solid hour just about this topic. Um, but for the sake of what the actual premise of this podcast is right now, um, <laughs> which is a chapter discussion, mm-hmm. we will jump in. This is chapter six, Out of the Frying Pan, Into the Fire, which is a very wordy title. And then when we find out like later how it got its name, I was like, Okay, that's kind of odd, but all right, I guess I'm along for the ride. Yeah. Um, my general feelings about this chapter is that I, I like I just kept reading it and I was like, this doesn't exactly feel necessary. <laughs> this just feels like really weird. Like, what are we doing here, Tolkien? I don't know about you, but <laughs> I'm I'm amazed at how much of the action takes place off screen. That's something reading this and um, knowing what the dwarves just went through to get through the mountain themselves. We stayed with Bilbo the whole time and we just get told like, oh, yeah, we had this little adventure, too. And this, that and the other happened. And because the story only sticks with Bilbo, it's one of those moments where Tolkien kind of cuts corners. You know, he always knocks Mm -hmm. out his POV character in the middle of a battle so he doesn't have to write the battle, which, you know, as as a writer, I'm like. Good. You know what what you don't want to <laughs> you do. Know your limits. You found your way to cut your corner, and that's what I talk about is like knowing your strengths and weaknesses, and knowing where you can cut corners. And he definitely does that. Um, <laughs> and it's always amazed me how descriptive and beautiful and lyrical, you know, a tree can be. But an actual battle, he's like two paragraphs, and we're out. <laughs> like Helm's yeah. Deep is a page and a yeah! half. <laughs> I know. I know. Which that's is what was crazy to me. And what I connect to part. as a writer is I love writing the big set pieces. So to look at this and realize like, oh, my God, here's where I would have totally glossed over. And here's where I would have really dug my teeth in. And it's totally opposite. But you still love it. And he still makes it work for the reader. You know, he gives your imagination that much of the breadcrumb that you can form it yourself, which is, I think, an mm-hmm. art form. But it, it is yeah. interesting seeing the balance of where he goes ham on prose and where he's like, we're going to just sweep right by that. Yeah, exactly. So um, Bilbo makes it out of the mountain. It notes, so he had lost his hood, cloak, food, <laughs> pony, his buttons. <laughs> I love that it notes that he his lost buttons his and buttons. His friends. And yeah, and it says, and his friends, but given what he overhears the dwarf saying later, I'm like, Bilbo, those aren't your those friends. Are, honey, May- those are not maybe your Maybe by the end of the novel, they'll be your friends. But right now, they hate you. Well, I like that um, it's very clearly stated that Bilbo has already made the decision to go back for them when he finds them. So it's not um, him being reactive. He's being a proactive character, which is just playing good writing, but also really indicative of how his character is changing. Because at the beginning of the story, he never would have put his ass on the line for these dwarves. And now he's starting to shift and become the Bilbo that he becomes by the end of the story. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I really appreciate about The Hobbit and rereading it now 
I realize is the tone. The tone of The Hobbit is so different mm-hmm. from Lord of the Rings. It's so much more playful and more fun. And it makes sense because it's originally a novel written for children, but it's still very smart and it still creates this atmosphere of adventure. Um, yeah. And going back and seeing that and getting a little bit more personality in it because it is Bilbo and Bilbo's kind of snappy. Uh, it's always fun as opposed to the a little bit more distant prose and tone of Lord of the Rings. Which mm-hmm. makes sense, again, for that story. But here, I always come back to, oh, I kind of feel like I'm gossiping with somebody here when they talk yeah. about, I lost my buttons <laughs> and I lost my friends and maybe we'll go up this tree. Yeah. <laughs> so Bilbo, yeah, he puts the ring on and decides, because he's wandering around, he's trying to figure out what to do, where he is. Um, he figures out that he's made it to the other side of the Misty Mountains and he's not sure what to do. And he's like, well, if they're all still back in there with the goblins, I should go help them. He puts the ring on to, like, turn himself invisible and go back and help. And then just, like, so convenient. Oh, my just God. stumbles at, like, of all of the places. But tens that the, of hundreds of miles up and down. Yeah. yeah. Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas chased <laughs> after Merry and Pippin for, like, for like three five days yeah. yeah like just trying to get and then he just happens to again this is a kid's novel the mm-hmm. pacing is way different in the hobbit it's just it just makes me laugh so much to think about like well lord of the rings tolkien would have it would have been like another three chapters mm-hmm. of bilbo on his own trying to find the dwarves and gandalf yeah and then you think well does that service the story in the same way and I think it's the right choice for this tonally and for what mm-hmm. it's intending to be. Because as writers, that's what we're taught is sometimes you got to cut the stuff you love and you got to cut the fat and you got to keep moving. Um, especially on the YA side, we have to be very, very fast. And mm-hmm. this, I think, is one of the YA novels yeah. that counts. And I think that's where I think that's where a lot of people who try to read they watch you know they watch the Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. movies and they're like, oh, these are so great. Let me go read the books. Right. Those places where Tolkien's like, I'm going to go into detail about the their exact every movement mm-hmm. rather than just like cutting ahead to the next important event. That's I think where a lot of people are they put down fellowship and they're like, I can't right. do this. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch the movie instead. That's a lot faster. Yes. <laughs> But that also has a great shift in tone, too, because you start with the hobbits, you start with the fun, and then by the end, you're like, oh, this is bleak. (laughs) Yeah. So um, then Bilbo uses, because he... um he can hear that they're talking about him and Gandalf is saying like, um, oh, we need to go back and find Bilbo. Um, and all of the dwarves are like, do we really? Mm-hmm. He hasn't really been that helpful. He's been such a bad, like, like burden on us. And Gandalf, Gandalf is so kind. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he says, after all, he is my friend and not a bad little chap. I feel responsible for him. I wish to goodness you had not lost him. So I love that he's kind of like a mad mother. Yes. Like, you yes. lost your, you left your he little brother at the park. It's very much the mother hen with so many chicks in every single story. He's always like <laughs> counting who's, who's where. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I do love um, these Asides with Gandalf because he will always pepper in something about like, oh, I have to go get a giant to block up that back door or that new front gate that the goblins have. And you're yeah, like, what? whoa, what? A- Run like, that back. Circle what, back. What could you do, sir? And there's yeah. so much good. He's planting so many seeds. I mean, obviously, the ring is an intense seed that's going to grow into a hell of a tree. But even the little bits about Gandalf and like, oh, he lights a pine cone on fire using his staff or his wand. And you're like 
huh? But it, you get it. He feeds it out to you in such a way that each new kind of step into Gandalf's magic and who Gandalf is makes sense. And you never break that thread of belief with the reader because you only have so much belief. You only have so much before the reader loses the ability to believe in what you're saying because mm-hmm. what we're doing is trying to make them believe in something extraordinary and magical. And it's a real art form, especially with Gandalf. And they do it again in Lord of the Rings when it starts with, you know, little fireworks. And by the end of Fellowship of the Ring, he's fighting a dragon creature in the depths of Moria. Yeah. So it's a really good escalation here. And he's sort of like the children's version of Gandalf, but the hints of the adult version Mm -hmm. are underneath. Yeah. He also says... I brought him and I don't bring things that are Mm. of no use. Mm. And that just also knowing like his later adventures with the fellowship and especially like Merry and Pippin tagging along Mm -hmm. and him saying, I don't bring things that are of no use. Like if he didn't think Merry and Pippin were going to be useful, he would have been like, no, you're staying in Rivendell. Mm -hmm. This is ridiculous. But like, I don't know. I was just like, Kandolf, you old softy. And I totally, (laughs) I mean, all of the characters are very well cast. But you hear Ian McKellen in this. At least I do. I can't read it anymore without hearing and seeing Ian McKellen because he was just too easy perfect. He's so great. There were so many just like tiny minor moments um, uh, in the movies that that he would do. Just like a slight change of like his expression Mm -hmm. or like this look on like in his eyes. And I'm like... You are just doing so, so good. (laughs) You're amazing. I love characters like that, too, who are kind of hiding their full potential. And you sort of think, like, well, why are you doing that? You could have solved everything from the get-go. And they can't. And they can't do things like that. And it leads all back into Tolkien's whole idea of absolute power and corruption and um, sort of stepping outside the natural order of things. Mm Mm-hmm. And he does mention several times throughout, um, I mean, specifically in this chapter uh, a couple times, but also in previous chapters so far, that, like, they are facing perils that even though Gandalf is a wizard, Mm -hmm. and you would think, like, oh, he can solve anything. He's a wizard. He can't. Mm -hmm. And so, like, Tolkien is setting up that, like, not even Gandalf can solve everything. And there's a balance to things. Mm -hmm. And too much interference is bad. And the whole, like, well, if Gandalf took the ring, and Gandalf's like, no, it would be horrible if I took the ring. It would be even worse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's such a cool way to – because sometimes in stories like this, you wonder, like, well, why is the Hobbit the one doing this? Like, wouldn't it make more sense to get an army and just send them in? And there's very good reasoning for it within the buildings of the world. Yeah. And I also love here that Bilbo is using the ring for probably, like, the one thing every normal person, like – wants to do use it for which is uh over here people talking about you, you <laughs> yes <know? laughs> yes it's the most innocuous thing you could use the one ring yeah. for but it's absolutely the realistic thing it's so true it's what we would all do if we had harry's invisibility cloak you know? <laughs> and then uh bilbo also i also love this moment too bilbo decides to dramatically reveal himself um with like an entrance line and there the all the dwarves are like Oh, some burglar he was. He got lost in there. And then he jumps out, takes the ring off and goes, and here's the burglar. I'm almost like imagining like, like a magician's cape. Yeah. A little sparkle, a little razzle dazzle. Yeah, yeah. Like a plume of smoke or yes. something. But it's yeah. very classic Bilbo worrying about losing his gold buttons. Of course, he's going to put on a little show to be like, hey, guys, I'm right here. 
Look at me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here. I made it. I know you guys were all just talking trash about me, but <laughs> I am, in fact, alive. Um, so they kind of give a brief rundown of what happened mm. because <laughs> Bilbo, yeah, so Bilbo's like, I'm sure you've already all talked about it a lot, but I want to hear what happened to you guys. And, <laughs> um, oh, wait, actually, first, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, because they ask him, how did you get out of the caves? And he decides, he like goes through the story, but he decides to leave out the detail that he found this ring. Mm. And that, and it, this like little section of the of the story where he is like telling what happened but excluding this this detail ends with um uh gandalf gave bilbo Mm -hmm. a queer look from under his bushy eyebrows as he said this and the hobbit wondered aloud if he guessed at the part of his tale that he had left out and i I just love love it so gandalf always knows Mm -hmm. but -hmm. that's a comforting thing too and it's why we lose gandalf in these stories so often is because he's such a crutch um Mm-hmm. And that's like basic storytelling is taking away those people who can help you. Yeah. He gets them as far as he can and he's like, bye. <laughs> and I also love that this is, um, I really need to like, I need to ask someone to like do research for me so that I don't like accidentally get spoiled or something. But like, I want to know when Tolkien was writing The Hobbit and he had this idea for the ring, if he had this like full idea of like this is an encapsulation mm. of evil yeah. and corruption and like manipulation and it's dark magic or if he was just like I think it's a little bit of dark magic but for right now all it does is turn you invisible because there are a couple things that the quote unquote like the ring does mm. um, that I'm wondering like was this the ring, like, manipulating Bilbo? Was that, like, the effects of the ring coming onto him to hide this detail that he has this ring? Or am I just, like, reading into mm. that just based off of what I know from Lord of the Rings, it you de- know? It depends on what part of, like, the lore you're listening to. There's sort of a running joke, not joke, that Tolkien built these entire stories because he invented a language and he wanted a story to go with it. So it was the language that came first and that was the background. Um, And I know The Hobbit was written first, but I believe, and don't quote me on this, but I I think it was always with the intention to make this something bigger. And he had had these other ideas in his head and he found a way to pull them together. Mm -hmm. But I think also as an author, you definitely leave yourself back doors in your stories, like I definitely have things where I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to make that piece of information pan out, but I know it's there and I can do something with it if I want to. Uh, okay. So I think he left himself very much knowing this ring is going to be important. Yeah. I'm not sure the specifics of it or I'm not sure what all those things it can do are. And then I think in the lore of the story, the ring, you know, has a will of its own and very much left Gollum because it was like, I'm never getting out of this cave if I stay with this weirdo. I'm going to I'm going to ditch. Maybe a goblin will pick me up. I'll corrupt the goblin, move my way up the ranks. I'll get out of these mountains. And then it was Bilbo who got in the way. Mm -hmm. The silly little hobbit, (laughs) which I I, like still can't believe that he found. I wasn't sure the like. I knew ahead of time that, like, somehow in The Hobbit, he ended up getting the ring from Gollum. I wasn't sure the exact details of it. I can't believe that, like, what Riddles. are the odds that he is stumbling around in the dark tunnel and just finds it on the floor and picks it up, you yep. know? Like, 
just just crazy. And again, like it's a coincidence, the of the ring, but it's coincidence you know? that's built into the lore and the world building, mm-hmm. and it yeah. makes sense. So you can have coincidences that don't make sense, and your audience calls bull. But something like this, you're already kind of in, got your foot in the doorway of believing it. Mm-hmm, and yeah. there's a great call out in The Fellowship of the Ring, the film, where Gandalf is like staring into the fire and he says riddles in the dark while he's thinking about the ring and what it could possibly be. And it's the chapter uh, title. I totally, yeah, I mm. totally missed that. Yep. Yeah. So he gives, and I also love this small moment where like he kind of, he gives Bilbo this look. It gives me, granted, you know, this was written first, but it gives me a lot of Dumbledore vibes yes. in Harry Potter of like, he's like always written as having like a twinkle in his eye and like this kind of, you know, that mm. plays off. It's like Gandalf, he knows a lot more than he's letting yes, on to. Yes, absolutely. And that's, that's part of Tolkien's invention of some archetypes. You know, the all-seeing mentor who knows more than they let on is very much something that he popularized. Yeah. Now Bilbo is saying like, oh, I'm sure you guys have already, you know, you've already talked about it a lot. But, but tell me. Tell me. What, what did you do? And I love this. It says... The wizard, to tell the truth, never minded explaining his cleverness more than once. <laughs> so funny. I and just so love witty. the tone. The tone is so sharp and these little tiny asides and jokes. And it's very, very British as well, the tone of it. Mm-hmm. And it rightfully reminds me very much of the tone of like the Chronicles of Narnia book that kind of poke fun, but also have this weird, omnipotent narrator who will occasionally say, like inject themselves into the story and you're like that's totally against the rules of storytelling and perspective but it works like mm-hmm. we, I would never get away with it now my copy editor would be like what is this yeah I um <laughs> I do that a lot where I'm like what would a, a modern day copy editor mm. do if if Tolkien walked in and like slammed this you know thousand plus pages of manuscript I mean, the, the Hobbit isn't, but, you know, Lord of the Rings. And, and they would have been like, what's what is all of this landscape description? Get this out of here. You have a you have a chapter that is 30 pages of everyone just giving exposition. Get that out of here. Like what? Like I want I'm just so interested to see yeah. what they would do. It's also like, incredibly modern for for that time period. It's very close to the vernacular. And then even the chapter title out of the frying pan and into the fire is a very modern saying to the point where it almost kind of jars you. And then I remember, there goes my dog. Um, <laughs> That's okay. In um, the Lord of the Rings, in one of the beginning chapters, there's a metaphor about a train or like a steam engine. And reading it the first time around, it went very smoothly to me. And then when I was reading it with like with a more critical eye, I thought, oh my God, a metaphor about a steam engine in this story where there's no modern technology, nothing like that, and it works somehow, and it's totally mm-hmm. against the rules. Yeah. So that whole idea that, like, Tolkien set the rules and now we have to play within these boundaries is so wrong because he broke a ton of rules himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gandalf explains that when the goblins first showed up and Bilbo shouted to alert all of them, he was able to, like, sneak through the crack somehow Mm. but then somehow he also didn't get captured at the same time i don't know how that worked (laughs) out but okay you know convenience of plot and just gandalf being gandalf who knows um and he kind of you know goes back through and explains um everything that happened like how he you know tells his side of it and how he like jumped in and, and saved the day for them um And we learn that, I can't remember if it was here or, like, earlier when he was eavesdropping, but the goblins all um, 
one of them like went and grabbed who was he on? He was Dory. on bomb Dory. I think it's Dory. Okay. Dory keeps getting yelled at for dropping Bilbo. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're they're like, well, you dropped him. And he's like, well, how was I supposed to know? Because after they all they like get ambushed again yeah. by the goblins, that was when Bilbo got knocked out. Mm. They like have this ambush again with the goblins. At some point, they kill the um, goblin, the great king. goblin, yeah. great goblin is what they call him. Yeah, great goblin. All of it happens off screen. Wild. Yeah. I don't know. Have you seen um, the Hobbit adaptations? I have not. Not yet. yet. No. Okay. Mm-hmm. I imagine just because I know that they had to, they turned this into three mm-hmm. movies for some reason, I'm sure this is a huge battle. It, it's a big set piece, <laughs> and I, it's one of the ones where I'm like, oh, that was a good ad, and that's something I wanted to see in the book. And I understand how we couldn't, but in a movie, we're allowed to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Some changes, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then Gandalf is like, oh, but enough of that. We have to keep moving on. We have to keep going. Because the goblins, the only thing keeping them from following them back outside is that there's still some sunlight. Mm. I love that world building detail, too. It's just one of those little things that he pinpricks in that you're like, oh, this is much deeper than I think it is. And there's a lot more happening under the surface. Mm-hmm. So they start going down the... Uh, sorry, just to make sure. <laughs> yeah, they're going down the hill. And into and there's like a landslide, I think. Yeah, it's it, like just, a very and, casual and, uh, landslide. Para- the paragraph about the landslide is also like as long as the paragraph about the escape from the goblins. Yeah, like I don't know how. Like there's just a landslide. It's the, it was the kind of thing where like I had to. Um, They're always I had falling. To, like, reread it a couple times. They're always yeah. falling places. And it's always very casual. It's never, like, something that they ruminate on Mm. for very long. And Dory, again, has to be like, all right, I'll help Bilbo down the landslide. (laughs) So as they're traveling and it's getting darker, um, I loved this this line. It's, like, very quiet. And it says, there was no wind that evening to bring even a sea sighing into the branches of the trees. Uh, Just, like, very simple. This is what saves all the prose, though, is it's so good. You know, mm-hmm. you have these five paragraphs and you can say, oh, they're not necessary. And some could argue they aren't, but they're so beautiful and so evocative. So you forgive him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so then they hear wolves howling. Mm. Another coincidence. We ended up in the wolves meeting clearing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, they happen to be We're at like the wolves council. in the woods where the wolves gather. And it also happens to be the wolves and goblins have like an alliance to work together. And tonight's the night we're going to lay siege to the men's villages. Exactly. Just just setting up all of these all of these like very circum- circumstantial mm. um, situations for them. That's like, oh, come on, this is the worst luck ever. <laughs> Hence, out of the frying pan and into the Yeah, I was going to say, Bil- yeah, Bilbo says that. He says, escaping goblins to be caught by mm. wolves, he said. And it became a proverb, though now we say out of the frying pan into the fire in the same sort of uncomfortable situations. And there's that omnipotent narrator who we're like, wait, who's telling us this story? Yeah, so that's where I get very confused Mm. because in Lord of the Rings, we learn that Bilbo wrote The Hobbit, Mm -hmm. you know? These, like, fun little details. um, So, like, that, that line about how, like, oh, but wizards 
especially this wizard in particular, likes to talk mm-hmm. a lot about how clever he was. So he didn't mind going right. back and telling the story a second time. And I think that's a fun detail that Bilbo would have put in yes. after like years of friendship with Gandalf. And it's one of those things he builds in that you just don't appreciate the first time through. But it serves... A sort of a structural purpose because this is meant to sound like a story you're telling your kid at night. And so it has that lyrical mm-hmm. sort of personal vibe to it. And it's hitting this yeah. rhythm that's very familiar and feels like a, a tale you're being told by someone versus a story yeah. you're reading and experiencing. And then there are also some moments where the narrator uses like I. Uh-huh. And I'm like, okay, so is that, like, in, like, the actual real-life writing of the book, that was obviously Tolkien, Mm -hmm. like, coming in with, like, a funny quip that maybe he told his son that night, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It's It's, just It it gives me, and this is so weird, I don't know if you ever watched Gossip Girl, but there was this whole thing about one character ended up being Gossip Girl, which if you watched earlier, was was impossible because Gossip Girl was narrating things he did. Mm-hmm. And it was like, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't so up. that it doesn't is what the up, yeah. kind of the vibe mm-hmm. I'm getting here is like Tolkien in hindsight was like, oh yeah, and Bilbo wrote this. And it's like, no, because yeah. it was narrating. Because that didn't make sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it still works. It's so funny you bring up that Gossip Girl example and that like I never I never watched an episode of Gossip Girl, but it was so like pop culturally mm-hmm. relevant. It was that, like, so ubiquitous I when know it was who, on. I know who Gossip yeah. Girl was. Like I know who it was revealed to be. And me. it doesn't make any sense. I say that as a viewer. And I also know the like fan mapping out of like it doesn't check out Does it make sense? they weren't Gossip Girl. No. <laughs> nope. So yes, they have they they are out of the frying pan and into into the fire. XOXO so Bilbo. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect sign off. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they all climb up into the trees and like once again Bilbo is left behind. You would think that like Gandalf at least because he did he like chastised the dwarves he earlier. He needs to being, like, leash Bilbo. Be- he needs yeah, like he those needs leash a, kids. Put him on a child Disneyland. leash. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or at least get. Get like a baby carrier, mm. put him on your back. A Bjorn, Some, something. something. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Just pull a Boromir carrying Merry and Pippin everywhere. Yes. Exactly. Perfect. Just do that with Bilbo. Um, because they all get into the trees and Bilbo's like trying to jump up to one branch. And I feel you, Bilbo. I think it's Dory again. Yes, yeah, Dory's it's always like, Dory. Oh, fine. <laughs> Um, and I thought I thought Dory was going to get killed mm. um, saving him. And I was like, oh, this is going to have severe consequences. Right. And then he didn't. Luckily, we're not getting that dark yet. No. Um, Biting my lips. But, <laughs> but um, he like he jumps down to help Bilbo up. And then like right as he's climbing up, the wolves chase them. Mm. And um, it notes like throughout this chapter that like, oh, Bilbo and Dory were like on the bottom of the tree and the wolves were like snapping. It's like, well, then keep climbing. Mm-hmm. Why can't you keep? That's what I didn't yeah. get. Like if you're on the bottom part of the tree, like, like yeah. keep climbing, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Distance yourself as much as possible. <laughs> oh, and then also speaking of which, where is it? There's one point where it says something like, oh, there. Go- yeah, it says you would have laughed in parentheses from a safe distance. And I'm like that. It's so, so- sassy. Well, and also that just made me be like, oh, my gosh, from a safe, safe distance. We know all about that right mm-hmm. now, don't we? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you would have laughed from a safe dif- distance if you had seen this dwarf sitting up in the trees with their beards dangling down like old gentlemen gone cracked and playing at being boys. 
We're still at the part of the story, too, where you really... He doesn't do a great job delineating the, the dwarves besides, like, their hood is this color. <laughs> oh, I couldn't even tell you what color and any of their hoods The characterization, are. I think, that was something I always struggled with with The Hobbit most, is Bilbo is so strong, Gandalf is so strong, and then you have the dwarves who all, besides Thorin, kind of blur, and Thorin yeah. stands out because of his backstory, not because of who he is in the moment. That was always my struggle. I had to read it for summer reading one year when I was in, like, seventh grade, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I got this. I've read The Hobbit before, and then it was like, name all the dwarves, and I was like, oh. Oh, I do that every time I, like, sit down to, to read and, like, take notes. I, I'll, like, pause and be like... Okay, let me see if I can name I had, like, a like a tune in my head where I was like, Dory, Ori, Nori, Killy, Philly, Biffer, Buffer, Bomber, Balin, Dwalin. I was like, oh, my God. And at, and at one point, I think I got, I think I, like, named all of mm-hmm. them. But then I looked down at my book, and it was, like, I, I think I read, like, Ori. Yeah. And I was like, I didn't even know Ori was a dwarf. But I counted, and I got the right amount of dwarves. So who, I was like, so whose name did I make up? Like, what (laughs) happened there? Yeah, so far, I think, so Thorin is, Thorin is like, is is the leader of Mm -hmm. the dwarves, and he is um, the more authoritarian Yeah, and he's got the whole, like, claim to the Lonely Mountain situation. Mm -hmm. And then Keely and Feely are kind of the, like kids mm-hmm. of the of the group and they messed up because they went to go scout out the cave on the mountain for them to rest in and that's how they got in this situation mm. in the first place and then Dory is mean to Bilbo all the time and that's about it in terms of like individual that's his character he's mean to Bilbo and forgets about him yeah <laughs> Bomber's fat right Bomber's the fat one. Oh, I couldn't tell you <laughs> See, I'm kind of imagining that they're all a little bit, like, stout. It's interesting, because then you watch, when you eventually watch the adaptations, you're like, wait, two of them were hot? I'm sorry, three of them were hot? What? Wait, some of them are hot? You you just wait, hon. You just oh, wait. You okay. have a storm coming. I was going to say, I, I mean, there's going to be no Aragorn, so yeah. what's going to keep me yeah. interested? I don't know. <laughs> So I mean, Orlando Bloom's back, baby. But is he? See, I have seen like a couple like production mm. know, images or like clips of him. Like I've seen some stuff of him from The Hobbit. Yeah, and it, he looks he looks different. Too, he definitely looks. Yeah, I actually went to the world premiere of the second Hobbit movie through work, and <laughs> I sat behind Benedict Cumberbatch. That was the no way. Yeah, that was the craziest night of. I have no idea. Still, I'm like, I can't believe it happened. But it was the one premiere they had outside New Zealand. They had it in Los Angeles, and I had mentioned it to someone like, "Oh, I'd cut my arm off to go to this premiere," and they were like, "Oh, I have a ticket. You want to come?" That's amazing. It was so cool. But I never saw Orlando Bloom. I saw Peter Jackson and like cried in myself and did not go say hello. And like the after party was really fun, but I just did not speak to anyone. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I've I can't remember who, but I had I had a guest say that like oh I met um, Dominic Monaghan I think at like a comic-con or something they were like they were there to like cover stuff for Mm comic-con like for their for also for their work and they like had an opportunity to like say something to dominant and 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 she was like i just want you to know that like i've loved lord of the rings for my entire life and can i please get a picture with you because i love lord of the rings and i love mary and pippin and (laughs) it was like this is my only chance oh my god she took she shot her shot i did not yeah i did not have the balls to shoot my shot in any direction i don't know i just stood there and ed sheeran performed 
I see fire, oh and I was just holding a glass of champagne all night in very uncomfortable shoes. A lot of people have asked me, like, would you ever reach out to any of the Lord of the Rings cast and see if they would come on the podcast? And I'm like, no. You can hide behind you- the work, though. You can hide behind the work. You can have, no, like, I an couldn't. email. You can hide. I, I believe I in you. I believe. No, 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 no. I have um, a friend of mine who, uh, or an acquaintance of mine, friend, it's weird in the virtual world, met them several times, but she's a writer right, yeah. on the Lord of the Rings TV show. Um, and she did oh. the first screenplay adaptation of my book, Red Queen. So we became friendly through that and had met several times. And now she's on Lord of the Rings. And I'm like, I just love seeing women succeed. Yes. Absolutely. Amazing. So, based on what I know of her and my experience with her, I think Lord of the Rings, the television show, is in very, very good hands. I'm excited Me for too. it. Me too. I would watch grass grow in Middle Earth. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited because, like, I'm someone who is coming into all of this so, so, mm. so very late. Um, I'm also, I'm so disappointed because, like, we're in this freaking pandemic. Mm. <laughs> it's ruining everything. Um, and they, like, with the 4K movies... A couple a couple weeks ago, they made some announcement that they were doing like limited showings of like the 4K movies yes. in like IMAX and theaters. And I wonder, like, why are you doing this now when I will not yes. come? I am your I audience. Like, I'm not going. I'm not going to go to that. I would love to go to that a year from now. Mm-hmm. But like, why would you do that now? And then we have um uh, in Richmond, Virginia, where I live, we have a local like historic th- movie mm-hmm. theater that will do showings of movies that are no longer you know mm-hmm. playing in theaters. And this week they are showing Lord of the Rings. And I'm like, I so bad. And like they they're they are doing like limited capacity mm-hmm. and like you have to get tickets a certain amount of time in advance and like all this other stuff. But I'm still just not comfortable. No, doing I, that. I don't blame you. And I mean, I've been vaccinated and I wouldn't go to a movie theater right now. Yeah. And like I I want so badly the experience of watching the movies on the big well, screen. I, I highly recommend I did a marathon movie showing, and the first two were the extended editions, so three and a half hours each, and then Return of the King was the theatrical, so three and a half hours. Yeah, still three and a half hours. Incredible. So good. You're so stiff after. (laughs) But totally worth it, and I highly recommend it. Um, Yeah, seeing those things in in the theaters is still... Amazing to know, know they're 20 years old and they still look so good and hold up so well because most of it was practical effects, whereas I think The I Hobbit say, will yeah. age mm-hmm. not as well. Yeah, yeah. What was I even going? Oh, yeah. So all that being said, <laughs> I'm excited for the series because it's something that like I'm going to get to experience with everyone mm-hmm. else, you know? Um, and I'm also excited because it's finally, you know, for all of the people who, who get so defensive when I bring up like the issues with representation, mm-hmm. they're like, well, the movies are 20 years old. What are you going to do about mm-hmm. it? Well, the books the books are 70 years old. There's nothing to do about it. It's 20, yeah. you know, when, when they were starting the concept of production, it was probably like, what, 2019, maybe even earlier when they were like starting this whole process and it's coming out in the year 2021, hopefully, knock on wood. Cool. <laughs> like, the, like this is our this is mm-hmm. the chance to do things better. So I hope we. Well, can it's also do it. proof that you can update things 
and you can yeah. elevate them and expand them and still keep what you love about it. It's not an, an attack on anything. It's just making it better. I don't understand why people don't want to get yeah. more out of it. And like also this chance to bring it to new mm-hmm. audiences and people who haven't, who maybe they didn't watch the movies mm-hmm. when they came out in the early 2000s so they didn't get into them and maybe they didn't host a podcast about Lord of the Rings. <laughs> And so they didn't get into it that way. But, like, maybe this is their chance to get into it because they're craving something after Game of Thrones. I don't know. This is how we get a theme park. (laughs) Okay, a theme park. (laughs) I ask all the time, how is there not a Lord of the Rings theme park? The best joke that has been made in this process, friend Buddy Duquesne of Those Happy Places, their podcast is all, they have a podcast all about theme parks and Disney Mm. and everything. And they made a joke about, like, I... Stand my ground that there will be a ride called Mordor, but you cannot walk into it. You, you just It's just like closed gates and it says Mordor. Oh, my and, God. And you, there's just no way to get in. That's great. My, um, my best friend is in New Zealand right now because that's where her partner lives. And they were at a beautiful lodge and she sent me a picture through the front window during high tea. And it is of the mountain they use for Mount Doom. And there's just this nice hotel next to it. And I was like, you are crazy. You're killing me. You're killing me. (laughs) And also New Zealand Mm. is doing great with the pandemic. Their Their, lives are all back in order. She's at a spa with him right now. uh, Kill me. They're in Queenstown. They're driving through the Pelennor Fields and all of these. Oh, my gosh. I know. And I've been, I went four years ago, I want to say. And I did not hit half of the things I wanted to hit. So I know I'm going back. It's a real paradise right now. I got to get there someday. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, so what is not a real paradise right now is. <laughs> Great segue. Is this situation, this terrifying situation. Yeah, we're in trees. They're in the trees. We're throwing pine cones. And yeah. And we find out that these wolves are wargs. Yeah. This is something that, so in the Two Towers movie, that whole battle that they have with the wargs mm-hmm. does not happen at all in the book. Mm-hmm. There's no, that just doesn't happen. It's just a way to make you think that Aragorn's dead yes. for a bit. And so I couldn't remember reading, when I was reading Lord of the Rings, if there was even a mention mm-hmm. of wargs. And so I chalked that up to be like, oh, wargs, that's just like a, a random thing, monster that they created for the sake of the movies. But no, they are based in at least in the hobbit i can't remember if there's even a mention of them in in lord of the rings but they are here in in tolkien's work Mm -hmm. at at least um and they're terrifying and they it says the wargs and the goblins often helped one another in wicked deeds and i will say that also kind of does they're going out and rubbing their little paws together like let's do some yeah i want to know like how exactly are they like communicating and like setting up all this well everyone speaks english everyone uses the calendar we use this is always something i stumble on when they're like it's tuesday now mr baggins and you're like what well that's lucky yeah that's (laughs) lucky that they didn't just say it's dwarf's day it's like i don't know who in this in this structure i would believe i would run with but it is that one more little like anglicization of the story that makes it feel very twee and british Mm -hmm. and so this like alliance between the the wargs and the goblins also does help me make more sense at least of that random battle sequence Mm. in two towers because i believe it's goblins who are writing them i can't remember Yeah, they're not urukai but they've been sent by saruman and he's like send out your wall riders (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I can, yeah, I can't remember if they were, like, creations of Saruman mm. or, yeah, but... I don't think so. It, it and does then they, at least tie that they in. They pop up again 
at the Battle of the Pelennor Fields, too. So you can just kind right, of... Right, yeah. Un- the goblins just yeah, show up. They're, they're on the baddies. Team. They're just there whenever you need someone to be there. Yes. And so they're having... It's just very scary and terrifying. And it mentions that the wargs are having this conversation and Gandalf can listen and hear what it is. And it's talking about how they were planning to go ransack this village. Yep. And then I guess somehow the goblins got word to them that they had this run in with the dwarves too. I I'm just imagining Gandalf like eavesdropping on a bunch of like barking dogs. <laughs> yeah, just, just woof, 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 woof oh, bark. Oh, they know. Bark. <laughs> he said that they're going to kill us. <laughs> then it says, now you, can under- now you can understand why Gandalf, listening to their growling and yelping, began to be dreadfully afraid, wizard though he was, and to feel that they were in a very bad place. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, I, I could, you know, to say the least, <laughs> they're in a bad place. Um, and so he starts throwing fire at them. Uh, as we all would setting pine cones on fire but he also decides to make them different colors yeah which i'm just like really gandalf like now we're gonna like use we're gonna have like whimsy now (laughs) like but it's also special fire it like burns them worse and catches and spreads and then Mm -hmm. that becomes a problem for the dwarves yeah then this is when i kind of lost it <laughs> when the eagles are like what's that what? yeah it says we what is all this uproar because well okay. this is like the first time we've left bilbo too like we've been yes, sewing yeah. bilbo's head and bilbo's pov it's it's a hard cut this is another we... rule breaking moment yeah that eventually works but you're like wait the other pov in this book is the lord of the eagles so like the sentence before this is talking about the wolves and it says they fled down the slopes crying and yammering looking for water and then there's like a little space at least in my copy there's like this little break and then the very next thing says what is all this uproar in the forest tonight said the lord of the eagles and you went like this what? is an established <laughs> character that we've met many times before. I know. But that works. He does have his moments where the wor- the 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 wording is very spare and it gets exactly what you need. And this is like 101 script writing where you use as few words as possible to explain something. So Lord of the Eagles were like, he's a big eagle. Got it. Mm-hmm. Done. Yeah. And it makes sense from a visual standpoint. Like if he was writing this to be adapted to the screen, it would make sense to have him jump right to an eagle because that's just the cut that's just the way the visual works but then you think this was written however many years ago in whatever decade and that was not a thought in his head but it still translates Mm -hmm. and it mentions that eagles are not kindly birds some are cowardly and cruel but the ancient race of the northern mountains were the greatest of all birds they were proud and strong and noble-hearted this is an important detail just kind of like in the general lore from lord of the rings because the amount you know there's always the argument. I, ha- I could do a PowerPoint on why we cannot take the eagles yeah. to Mordor. Why didn't the eagles fly everyone to Mordor? And there is a specific line later on, too, that I'll come back to to defend, to, to add to this, like, pile of evidence. Like, this is setting up for, like, what we see the eagles, you know, rather what they don't do mm-hmm. in Lord of the Rings, you know, which is they cannot take the ring to Mordor because they're very proud and and they're they're good people but also some of them are or I say people creatures <laughs> <laughs> but some of them are cowardly cowardly but they're also very proud mm. and probably stubborn yes 
And they don't want to particularly get involved. Also, the ring can corrupt them, too. You mm-hmm. and I could talk about this yeah. forever. The eagles could not take the ring to Mordor. It's also not a stealth mission. Like, it wouldn't a, have no, been a stealth you'll mission. Have, you'll have Nazgul were, on Felbeast. It's going to be a total yeah, bloodbath in the sky. Good. It's not happening. I, it just wouldn't have worked out. Yeah. I've had friends who have tried to, who've like gotten me drunk at parties and been like, Victoria, explain why we can't take the Eagles to Mount Doom. And I'm like, listen! It's like, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my TED Talk. Yes, here we go, everyone. <laughs> Sit down and shut up. <laughs> so yeah, the Eagles are, oh, I literally wrote that in my, <laughs> I put that in my notebook. Okay, so I guess the Eagles are here. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they do that, and they too. they swoop in to you, help. You saw yeah, in Lord of the Rings, just, the eagles will pop do. up. They're just here. They're just here now. Oh, you need help getting off this tower? Here's an eagle. So then they, the goblins arrive at the forest, and there are all of the wolves that are still there are, like, still on fire. So they round up the fire to be, like, around the trees that the dwarves are on. Meanwhile, I should mention, the goblins are singing, because, of course... We can't have anything happen in this book without someone singing about it. Yeah. Which, like, I wonder. Like, I just wanted, like, his wife to walk in and be like, dear, does there have to be a song here? (laughs) But that was part of, like, why he wrote these. He wrote these as vehicles for languages and rhymes that he came up with, which is crazy. (laughs) The trees that the dwarves are in are catching on fire. The goblins are getting closer. The wolves are still, like there it's just not a good situation and this this is when i was just like is this really like necessary for the plot because it's been several pages of this too um of like the wolves chasing them up the trees and then barking at them and then the goblins coming down it's been several pages of this whole ordeal and then (laughs) this was again when i i lost it and i just laughed because it's such a gandalf moment again it says just at that moment because um, Gandalf is, like, preparing to, like, do a lightning spell and then, like, cannonball onto the goblins and kill them. But it says, just at that moment, the Lord of the Eagles swept down from above, seized him in his talons, and was gone. Same. And I'm just imagining all the dwarves just and Bilbo just being like, well, I- goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Because this is this would also not be the first time no. so far in this book that Gandalf is just pieced out without telling them anything. In Realm Breaker, I have a a witch character who pieces out a lot, and all the I characters are like, "Where the hell is she? What is she? I Where love is she? What that. is she doing? Where is she going?" That's one of the things I was like, "I want to poke fun at that." It's such a funny mm-hmm. tr- and it just adds so much more mm-hmm. to this chaotic, whimsical version of Gandalf that I didn't get to see in Lord of the Rings. But I'm loving it so much. He's definitely so like enjoyable. a chaos lord. Yeah. <laughs> Just a mess. Oh, shoot. I should also mention, um, while they're st- while he's still up in the trees, Gandalf says, go away, little boys. <laughs> it isn't bird nesting time. Also, naughty little boys that play with fire get punished. And I'm like, why are you talking to the goblins like that. School teacher that makes scolding them. <laughs> Go away. Stop <laughs> trying boys. to kill us. <laughs> oh my gosh. But no, Gandalf doesn't just peace out. More eagles come back and get uh, the rest of the dwarves. They forget Bilbo again. <laughs> Classic. And Dory <laughs> and has to has hold to... on to him with his poor legs. Yeah, Bilbo reaches up and grabs Dory's legs and like dangles on. And then Dory complains about it. <laughs> and he's like, ah, oh, my legs. <laughs> 
Um, meanwhile, I think Bilbo is like Dory. Shut up! You're at least being held. Right, by Bilbo's the eagle, like, I let go. I'm, I'm gonna I'm die. I'm gonna die. Yeah, and he does have that thought. He's like, oh, I can't stand this anymore. Maybe I should just let go. Oh, if I let go. I will die. I think that's one of the things, too, that really endears people to this story in this particular piece of Tolkien is because Bilbo is so relatable and much more relatable, I think, than Frodo. Um, you have these moments of weakness oh, where yeah. he's like, I don't know how to do this. And, oh, my God, I feel sick. And da, 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 da. And you can kind of see yourself in Bilbo um, mm-hmm. to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah. And so the eagles fly them away to their... I don't know, colony, their nest. They're eerie. And uh, at first, uh, Bilbo's like, oh my God, because one of the eagles comes back and is like, bring the prisoners this way. And he's like, oh no, prisoners, now what? (laughs) (laughs) We've gone from being prisoners of goblins to being like prisoners of wargs. Mm. And now we're prisoners of eagles. It's just a silly, you know, uh, linguistic thing. Um, They're not prisoners. And in fact- It's so stupid though. It's like, oh, prisoners. Why would you ever think we meant you were our prisoners? Oh, I don't know. Because that's just how you phrased it. It's just how you said prisoner, you know, maybe yeah. could have clued me into that. <laughs> yeah. So Gandalf happens to be good friends with the with the eagles um, and explains where they're going. And the eagles are like, oh, well, we'll take you as far as this point. Mm. But we don't want to we don't want to mess with the men. And this is very important. Again, going back to why they couldn't take the eagles to Mount Doom. They say, we are glad to cheat the goblins out of their sport and glad to repay our thanks to you. But we will not risk ourselves for dwarves in the southward plains. So they also, it it wasn't until like the very like possible end of humanity Mm -hmm. that they were like, okay, maybe we'll risk ourselves um, to do this. It wasn't until it was like, okay, the world really is going to end. Maybe we need to come in and and help and save the day a bit. Yeah. Um, And it's similar with the elves too in, um, in Lord of the Rings and here a little bit, you know, the elves don't want to get involved um, and that's always seen as very like, oh, well, that's just how they are. And we can't be angry at that choice. And I, I play with something similar in Realm Breaker where we have a race of immortals who are like, no, no, it's not for us. And we are, we don't want to risk ourselves. And then they get called out as cowards because that's what that is, is you're deciding mm-hmm. to, you know, stay out of it when you could make some sort of difference. And I think that yeah. is very relevant back when Tolkien wrote this after the First World War. It's and it's relevant, relevant now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then also, also adding on to that, we also see that happening with the Ents, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where they're like, "No, we're gonna, we're gonna, um, yeah, Switzerland." This, it's very much a whole theme lives. of people being moved to action when it suddenly affects them. Yeah. <laughs> Which, like, you want to you want to hope and believe that people will be moved to action um, when it's affecting maybe the people around right. them that they care about, or maybe even before it's even affecting before it even has an mm-hmm. effect. You know, let's let's be proactive, people. But no, the eagles and everyone else are selfish. Um, <laughs> selfish, but realistic. Don't... One of those things that yeah. makes you mm-hmm. believe in these flying, talking eagles is there be- them being like, "No, it, we yeah. protect ourselves. Please leave us alone." Yeah. And so they they rest for the night and they have a good meal. Always a meal. Always a meal with these dwarves. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised there was no mm-hmm. singing. <laughs> no, yeah, no singing. I don't think we've um, 
I don't think we've had a song from the dwarves in a while. Mm. And the chapter ends with Bilbo having this dream. And it says, but all night he dreamed of his own house and wandered in his sleep into all his different rooms, looking for something that he could not find nor remember what it looked like. Mm. And again, I'm wondering, I'm like, was that is that supposed to be the influence mm-hmm. of the ring, perhaps? Is that supposed to be this, like, subconscious fear already growing yeah. on him of losing the ring mm-hmm. and not being able to find it? And you actually do see, you know, you kind of see that scene play out yeah. in um, Fellowship when you watch the extended edition. Mm-hmm. There is a moment where... Bilbo is in his house and he can't find his he's not sure where the ring is and he goes like ransacking through everything trying to find it yeah I love I love that close reading too of filtering Mm -hmm. it through that lens of from this moment on is Bilbo altered Mm -hmm. and just again I don't you know I don't know if that's actually what Tolkien intended or if I'm just reading into it based off of what I know from the Mm -hmm. from Lord of the Rings and what the ring does Um, but like I'm really interested by all of these if that is what he's doing is dropping all of these hints, you know, I'm really interested in, in seeing all of those tiny little details that he's dropping. Yeah, no matter what, it elevates the experience of reading it. You know, you're not passive in the experience. You're very much taking pieces of it and metabolizing it and trying to break it down. Well, Victoria, thank you so much for coming yeah, on. Thank you for where having can me. People, where can people find you on the internet and what would you like to plug? Yeah, so um, I'm Victoria Aveyard. I'm the author of the Red Queen series, which is a young adult fantasy series. It is completed. And then I'm also the author of the upcoming YA fantasy trilogy, Realm Breaker. The first book comes out on May 4th. Uh, you can find me at victoriaaveyard.com or at victoriaaveyard on Instagram or at Victoria Aveyard on Twitter or at Victoria Aveyard on TikTok because that's a thing now. Oh, TikTok. <laughs> yeah. It's a terrible place and such a funny place also, all at the same time. I, I like it too much. I scroll for so long. I know. To the point right? where the, the app itself is like, you should go outside. Yeah, that, that one video that shows up every now and <laughs> like, then. Ooh. It's the guy going like, stop scrolling. It's like, hey, you've been, no, he's like, hey, you've been scrolling a while. And I'm like, don't tell me how to live my life, man. <laughs> yeah, it's like, if I want to sit here for an hour and a half and scroll on my bed... That's What I'm Talking About is a proud member of WBNE. You can learn more about the network by going to WBNE.org, where you will find all of our shows like Perspective Z. Have you ever wondered what Gen Z was thinking while half the generation was eating Tide Pods? Or what those gosh darn kids are up to these days? Well, then you should check out our podcast, Perspective Z, hosted by me, Rachel. And me, Katrina. We discuss pop culture, politics, and everything in between, and give you our perspective as two Gen Z ladies trying to figure out our place in the world. Listen along to hear our thoughts and opinions as we gear up for college and beyond. So make sure to check out new episodes of Perspective Z every Monday on the WBNE Network at WBNE.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Now on Spotify. Toodles! The cover art is by Graphite, a.k.a. Vaishan Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at graphite.vmb. You can get merch for That's What I'm Talking About by going to tpublic.com slash user slash pod or following the link in the episode description. I've mentioned before that TeePublic frequently has sales going on and there are lots of sales coming up. There is a sale, as you are listening to this, happening on April 7th and 8th. You can find the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at Tolkien About Pod, and you can also join the Facebook group, which is linked in the episode description. 
You can find me on Twitter at MCWhatsUp and Instagram at MCTurnDownForWhat. You can support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash TolkienAboutPod and exploring the different tiers and perks. You can join Discord for $3 a month. Discord is always a fun time and a fun place to be. Or you can become a sponsor like Mayor. Mayor, thank you so much for being a long-term supporter of That's What I'm Talking About. You've been around for a while, and I very much appreciate that. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Do you have any parting words for the audience? No, I've, I'm just really excited to um, see you continue your journey with Bilbo. I think this is really fun and a really unique premise, and I hope you enjoy it as much as we did when we first read it. Yeah, I hope I also enjoy <laughs> it as much as everyone else. So, <laughs> And that's what I'm talking about. <laughs>